Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. You've just landed in the Sin Bin with your hosts, Paul Rogers. You went to Princeton and we're all Eastern, weren't you, Ned? That's what it said in the yearbook, Jim. Uh-huh. And Otto Rogers. You <laughs> What a life. See ya. Yeah. All right, let's show them what we got, guys. Okay. All right, yeah. Get out there on the ice and let them know you're there. Oh, my All right, everyone, welcome to another edition of The Sim Bin. I am Paul Rogers, your host. Um, unfortunately, Otto could not join us this time. Uh, as a matter of fact, Otto has not been able to join us for a few times. It seems like he always is parenting or something. He's always taking care of his kids or always doing Boy Scouts or something, but good on him, but bad for us because I like having Otto on the show. Uh, tonight, we have a guest already in the line, I think, and it is Seattle Times uh, reporter Jeff Baker. Jeff, are you there? I am here. Good to be on. How are again. you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. Doing well. What's going on in the world right now? Yes, there is indeed. Um, in the world, so, in the yeah. world of arena as well, and, and, and hockey yeah. and basketball, it's a, there's a lot of exciting times happening, so it's a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. So uh, before we dig into OVG and Key Arena and Chris Hansen and Soto, um, I watched the, uh, the inaugural home game for the Vegas Golden Knights, and I was actually really impressed, not, not just with the way the team played, which is exceptional, but it seemed like they really put a good fan experience together. Have you, have you had a chance to watch any of their stuff yet? I have not had a chance to. I've been really busy uh, working on a multitude of things uh, the, the past week or two. And, uh, no, I, I have not had a chance to actually sit back and watch any games, which I usually start to do this time of year. So, um, But, you know, from everything I've heard, it, it, was, it was a fantastic uh, presentation. Uh, I know that Seattle had some, represent- uh, some uh, local representatives from the uh, NHL, the Seattle group, that went down there, and they were wearing their Seattle Mets uh, jerseys in the crowd. And so, um, yeah, you know, I, I thought it was a great time. And I think, you know, it's something that we can see soon here in Seattle. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and also, before we get into Seattle directly, um, new in, the new owner for the Houston Rockets was introduced this week. And in his uh, press conference, he was asked if he was interested in bringing the NHL to Houston. And he said he was very interested, but he also said that he wanted to make sure that the community would support that franchise. Um, with that in mind, um, how big of a threat is Houston to Seattle's expansion hopes, even if we get Key Arena approved? I, I don't think it's a threat, but I, I do think it's <clears throat> very possible that the NHL could go to both Seattle and Houston. Um, don't forget, there's a lot of franchises that are in distress right now. 
in in the National Hockey League. Not a lot of them, but there are there are a few, and the two of them being um, being uh, the Arizona Coyotes and the the Calgary Flames. And when I say distress, that's probably not the accurate term. They're they're two they're two cities that are uh, kind of balking at getting new arena deals done. And um, you know the old game in sports, if you the, the old extortion game, if you don't want to build a team, uh, an arena in a particular city, they'll threaten to leave. And that's what happened with the Sonics here in Seattle. Yeah. And my ex was back in Montreal. And, and so that's what's going on. You got those two franchises that the NHL is not thrilled with at this moment. And, you know, there's always a possibility those two could move. And if they move, they could, you know, they would have to decide, hmm, do we want to get the $650 million expansion fee from here in Seattle, or do we want them to pay a $300, $300 million relocation fee and take the team, uh, you know, you know, that needs to be relocated and we can get the 650 out of Houston or, I mean, because Houston's got an arena already, you know, you can, you can maybe ship them the, um, the relocation franchise and, and then give Seattle the expansion. I would say one of those two cities, is going to end up getting either an expansion or a relocation franchise in the not too distant future. Uh, I, I would say there's just too much money to be made and that the NHL is looking at in both markets for that not to happen. So I don't think it's a, a threat to Seattle. I think, I think, you know, if Seattle dawdles along and doesn't get any arena solution figured out, whether it's at Key Arena or, or in Soto, uh, you know, in the next six months to a year, I could definitely see the NHL, uh, yeah, you know, making all kinds of noise about excluding Seattle and moving putting a franchise in Houston instead, but I think the end game in the long run is going to be to go to both places. Right. Um, so you mentioned uh, Arizona and Calgary. It seems like in Arizona, you've got just kind of a hodgepodge situation where the various local governments seem just completely uninterested in doing anything. And in Calgary though, you've got a situation where the local government actually seems, you know, pretty set against doing something it, it all, that one reminds me more of uh not just seattle but the state you know washington state legislature in 2007 2008 um where do you think that you think they might actually be in trouble because calgary is a big hockey town it is a big hockey town i've been to games uh, calgary flames games <clears throat> over the, um and I can tell you, I mean, it, it used to be a really huge hockey town back when they made the Stanley Cup finals about a decade ago. And they, when they won the Stanley Cup, I actually <laughs> saw one of their games live in Montreal when they won the Cup in 1989. And, and I can tell you that, uh, you know, it's a huge it's, it's a huge hockey town. But, you know, you, you have to see it the way the NHL sees it, you know. And, and I'm not going to act as the NHL spokesman right here, but, I mean, it's no secret how they view a lot of the Canadian markets, uh, my home my home market of the province of Quebec being one of them. You know, the NHL is pretty content to, you know, have one hockey team in the province of Quebec, the Montreal Canadiens. You know, they don't necessarily think they're going to sell that much more merchandise or make much more money having a second team uh, three hours north in Quebec City. Same thing for Toronto. There's a reason they don't have two NHL teams in Toronto. You could have them right right there right now, but the league doesn't see – all that much benefit to it at this moment because they feel they have a lot of the Canadian market saturated. So you look at the, at the business opportunities in Alberta, you've got Edmonton just two, two and a half hours north of Calgary that has a great new arena. You know, they're, they're making their money now and, and the league's happy. So if you're the league, you're looking and say, how much more money are we really going to squeeze out of the province of Alberta by, by ha- keeping two teams there? You know, would we get more money if we move one of those teams to a lucrative uh, American franchise where they play for American dollars and they have bigger TV 
revenue possibilities for the league uh, than what they would get by keeping two teams. You're still going to make your money in Alberta if you're the league. And that sounds, that sounds very crass and that sounds very uh, Machiavellian when I say it, but I mean, that's, that, that's how these league commissioners think. They're not, you know, they're not there to be fair and nice to everybody. They're there to make money and fans have to realize that. So would the NHL take a short term PR hit uh, by leaving Calgary? I think, I think it's a possibility. I really do. And I'm not saying that Calgary fans are right or wrong not to build them uh, or, or the Calgary's mayor is, is wrong not to build a, a publicly subsidized facility there. Um, you know, I've spoken out tremendously about sports subsidies to teams. I, I've, I've detailed that in a lot of my columns, and I'm not making a judgment on that. I'm just telling you the reality of how the league looks at these things. When they look at Canada, it could be a great hockey market, uh, but but they they tend to – it's a market of 33 million people in the entire country. So the province of Alberta mm-hmm. is probably not going to register very high on the economic scale for, for the NHL when it's got to make a cutthroat decision like this. Okay. All right, so now let's talk about Seattle specifically. So the other day – I can't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday, but the other day um, we had another hearing in front of the city council where, and I think it might have been the last chance for public comment maybe, um, about the key arena proposal. But it seems like uh, the hearing itself kind of took second place in the news because Mr. Chris Hansen was in town. Um, He actually interviewed with you, I think, for the first time, right? Um, And he actually testified at the hearing. And... Um, and he actually said, I believe, um, we're fine with key arena being built, but please consider our street vacation. And then, uh, you wrote some things about it. What, what are your overall impressions of what Chris Hansen did the other day? Well, I, I mean, I think, you know, I think it was, it, it was interesting to sit down and talk to him. We've been trying to get an interview with him for, uh, more than three years now. And, uh, you know, I think if you're going to, try to bring a team or, or get a, an arena built in a town. I mean, you kind of have to be bigger than what your, your squabbles are with any particular story or media coverage on any particular day. And you have to, you know, you have to face all of all the people that are out there, even your critics at times. Um, you know, I know he's not happy with our editorial board, but the editorial board separate from the newspaper. And that's the same in every market in the world. Most, most people learn this right off the bat. So, you know, I, I don't want to go, get sidetracked on that. So, I mean, I, I, I was happy to have a chance to ask him some questions. It was nice to meet him for a change. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't despise Chris Hansen. Uh, we, we don't, we, we don't try to play favorites in this business. I've said this before, um, you know, so I thought it was an interesting conversation. I, I think he does have to be a, a little more public about what he wants and to make his arguments a little more forcefully uh, in public if he wants to, you know, have a chance to, to push his Soto, um, his Soto vision forward. Uh, you know, I would have liked personally to see a little more meat in the conversation than what I saw from him sitting, uh, sitting down there. I mean, the reality is the, 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 the facts have changed considerably since his street vacation vote was lost in, in May of 2016. Back then, there was no Oakview group. There was no key arena option that was being considered. It couldn't be because Soto had exclusivity. Now they've opened the process up, and you've got a, a bidder. Tim Laiwiki is one of the most experienced arena builders on the planet uh, with a company that's backed by, by some big-time money and some big-time pledges from people and, and a group that already has its ownership group lined up for the NHL and possibly the NBA as well. And they also are planning to build an arena on spec without needing teams. Now, if you just look at that on its face and compare that to Hanson's proposal – 
which, you know, does not have all its investors lined up. He's been very upfront about that um, because he can't, his group can't afford the price tag of what they're, they're planning to do. They could build an arena, but they can't operate it because they can't afford to go out and get the teams as well. They need other investors to do that. And so there's no use building an arena if it's just going to go bankrupt because it's got nobody playing in it. So they can't do what Oakview Group is doing. And Oakview Group is sustaining their arena because they have a music partnership with Live Nation and they're going to fill it with 50 or so concerts a year. So that's, that's what's happening right now. And, um, the, and, and so you look at that on its face, if it's really a competition between these two arenas, I mean, one, one side of it, the Oakview group appears to have a much more ready to go plan, much more solid backing behind it. Whereas Hanson's group needs several things to happen in order for his project to have a chance of succeeding. And the most important one is he needs to get teams. And he said that himself. And for five years, he's been unable to get teams. And there's all kinds of speculation about why. Um, and, and, you know, there, there's been a rumor around for a long time that the NBA will not give him teams because of what happened down in Sacramento. I have never written that as a fact because I don't know it to be a fact. But it, it's, it's something that keeps floating around out there. And I think until he does get teams, it's not going to, um, you know, it, it's going to be hard to convince anybody that he can actually get teams. And, and I think... That, that's been his biggest problem up until now, frankly. And, uh, and, and, you know, he's up against some very stiff competition. And uh, the city, you know, for whatever reason, just doesn't seem interested, in, in, as, inter- as interested in his proposal as it does in the, uh, the Oak Street Group's proposal. How different do you think this might have gone, Jeff, if from the beginning, instead of basing his financial model on getting a team um, – if he based his financial model on getting um, an agreement with some someone like Live Nation, like like what he did, um, it, it's it's Live Nation, I think, that's allowing Lightwicky to do this on spec. Uh, I know a lot of fans feel threatened by that. They think that because he's basing it on music, that he doesn't want the NBA. But how different do you think things might have gone for Hanson if he'd had gone that route? Well, I mean, the mayor of Seattle told him to go that route two years ago, uh, especially when, when the NHL put hockey teams up, put expansion an expansion process in the works and had, you know, Hanson worked something out for hockey back then with, with Victor Coleman and Hudson Pacific Properties. You know, it might, have, uh, it might have materialized for him on that front, and he'd probably be much better positioned today to get the basketball team. I don't think anybody from the city would have stood in his way had he gone all private back in, let's say, June of 2015, and gotten an NHL team here, I, I don't think they would have used the whole street vacation thing and conditional build against him. I mean, the mayor was, was up front and public about it. Ed Murray at the time saying he was pushing, he needed, and had told Chris Hansen in no uncertain terms, he's got to go get hockey because he's not going to get basketball and the NBA in time for his MOU before it expired. So the public funding component of that MOU was pretty worthless because it was never going to be fulfilled. And yet, you know, he did not get a deal done with Victor Coleman, and he held out for that public funding component. Component, I can tell you a lot of city council members did not want to hold that vote back in May 2016. And, and I've written about this on the front page of the Seattle Times. The day of the vote, I wrote that Ed Murray basically had to strong arm the council into even holding the vote in the first place. And in the end, Hanson didn't have enough votes to win. And that's, that's the reality of what happened. So, yeah, I think it could have gone. It's a good question. I mean, we can replay history. I think had he gotten the hockey team uh, and had Victor Coleman as an owner, they, they, they could be there and they could, 
who knows, maybe move a distressed basketball team here as well uh, a lot sooner on. I mean, there, there's a couple of markets in the NBA that, that uh, you know, leave something to be desired, and they could move here, Memphis being one of them. Um, but, you know, I, you, you can never play that game. It's too late now to go back in time because now he's got competition that's willing to do it. And the competition has, you know, on the face of it, put up a better offer, at least from the city's perspective, they've put up a better offer than what they've uh, seen out of Hanson so far. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that decision ultimately hurt him. Uh, as far as the people worried that it's going to be a music venue, I don't share that concern at all. And it's not because I'm naive about things. It's because I've talked to a lot of people behind the scenes. In fact, I'm going to have some articles coming out uh, fairly shortly. Uh, but I, you know, the, the people I have talked with at high levels in both leagues um, have just not given me the impression that this is only going to be a, a music only run by OVG. I would be shocked if that was to be the case. I, I would be stunned. I probably ended up having to quit because, you know, <laughs> I would feel like I've been played like a douche. But I, I can guarantee you, I can't guarantee you, but I, I can promise you, I, I do not, with every fiber of my being, believe that that is even close to happening. And I think the people that are trying to play that things up, you know, some of them are fans and they're legitimately worried, but I, I think there's some people in other positions that are trying to to play that up because they favor uh, the Soto arena over, uh, over anything else. And I think those fears are, are dramatically being overplayed right now and, and misplaced. And, um, and I can tell you this from having spoken to a lot of people involved in this thing. And uh, you know, unless they're all blatantly lying, which usually everybody doesn't lie all the time. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't think there's anybody that doubts that this is going to be a play in the end to get both sports here. Okay. All right, so let's talk about street vacation. Um, one of the main points that Chris Hansen made to the council the other night was he's fine with, um, and he's not going to, oppo- to oppose the hearing proposal, he's not going to oppose OBG, but he's asking the council to please reconsider street vacation. Um, in your article, you can, I, I think you were the first to report that SDOT uh, emailed Sally Bagshaw that Chris Hansen's team had not returned requests for information, that they were slow to return information, and there's, I think, even still some information they haven't returned. Um, in your article, I think Roland, Fat, Roland Fatland uh, said it was first they had heard of it. Um, I believe Hansen's lawyer told King 5 News that um, it wasn't true. Um, and that, that statement seems to contradict what the city, what SDOT said earlier in the year when they said they're just not focusing on it right now. So where, where does the truth lie? Is, is Chris Hansen not returning information to SDOT? Or is the city trying to uh, make an excuse here? What do you what do you think is going on there? Well, yeah, I, I mean, when I spoke to Ron Fatlin on uh, was it Tuesday night, he also put a call in quickly to Jack McCullough, who's Hanson's land use lawyer, and he, he Fatlin told me that McCullough had heard nothing about it either. So we were, you know, we were pretty confident in, yeah, uh, uh, you know, in our reporting of that that we had gotten that position. In the paper, and I spent yesterday trying to contact Beverly Barnett, the SDOT uh, woman in charge of street vacations, to, to clarify what was in her email. And she did not return my call, but I did speak uh, for most of today with city spokesperson who is now tasked with uh, answering media queries on this. And, um, you know, you know I, I've seen some additional. I'm going to have a follow-up story in tomorrow's paper 
so I don't want to go too much into it right now. Um, what the city is showing is that they have they have it indicated in timestamp paperwork that this request went out to Hanson. What I haven't seen yet is any specific email uh, following that up or any specific email saying, uh, you know, or any specific document even saying who this went out to. But the city does have documentation to show on its own records anyway that this this uh, request for additional info was sent out to Hanson's team. So um, that's what they have right now. But but no, I haven't seen a smoking gun yet. <laughs> I haven't seen a paper right. or an email with like this Roland Fatlin or Jack McCullough's name on it saying, dear Roland, dear Jack, uh, you know, here's what we need. You have to get it to us by by here. Do I doubt that it was sent out? No, I don't doubt it. But, you know, what, where does the truth lie? I mean, you know, did, did, it, did a courier lose it someplace? I mean, I haven't seen documented follow-up. Supposedly the city's got people looking into that for tomorrow to try to find harder uh, documentation uh, of what exactly happened. Uh, you know, as far as the contradictory statements, you know, you got to be careful with stuff that appears contradictory because sometimes, you know, you can read things two different ways. And you can think that there's a contradiction when there really is none. I'm not saying there isn't here. There could be a, a complete contradiction. But, I, you know, from reading what they said to King Five back several months ago and reading uh, what this email to Sally Bagshaw said, I don't see an inherent contradiction. I mean, it could be as easy as maybe the city's trying to protect Chris Hansen uh, by not, you know, throwing him under the bus with this thing. Maybe that's what they were doing with King Five several months ago. Um, you know, and, and like I said, this, this email got leaked to me. So it's not like the city gave this email to me. So, yeah. you know, even though even though the um, uh, I, at least Beverly Barnett didn't give it to me, I can tell you that. So, um, you know, when she's writing this email to Sally Bagshaw, she doesn't know if, that it's going to go in the newspaper necessarily. Really? And so, you know, you got to be careful with contradictions and, and things. I mean, it could just be one and the same. Perhaps the city was was putting out making it sound a certain way to King five several months ago, because they didn't want to throw Hanson under the bus and make it blow up into a whole big public thing back then. I mean, that's always possible. I don't know. I don't know the answer. We're still trying to figure out the answers uh, right now yeah. because Hanson has been emphatic that they never got this stuff. And meanwhile, there's, there's some documents timestamped that show that it went out, but it doesn't say to who. So, right. um, yeah, so yeah, I'll be curious close to say attention to this one. Yeah. yeah it's, like it's, to close it's attention to this one. This is a huge at. issue. Yeah, I agree. I okay, agree. so so regarding uh, vacation, what that issue aside with vacation, um, we we know that in the negotiated MOU with Key Arena, um, there is no exclusivity. Uh, <laughs> I can't even say it exclusiveness. Yeah, I can't say that so there's nothing in the MOU that prevents uh, Chris Hansen from building. Um, so is there a harm in vacating Occidental uh, when you're in the middle of this project. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, I had, I had a pretty good discussion with a couple of our columnists about this the other day, uh, Matt Calkins and Larry Stone, and we were going back and forth. And honestly, like, I, I mean, I, I can honestly see it both ways on this, and I'm not trying to play politician here, but I can. I mean, on one hand, technically, yeah, there's probably no harm in doing it because they're not going to build – this, that, and the other, and, and, you know, if they get a team, great. On the other hand, though, if I'm the city and I'm in negotiations with, a, you know, a, a big conglomerate that I've just awarded uh, a, a renovation deal to, 
after an RFP process. The thing about RFP processes, and I know this because my wife's an executive with, with a multinational corporation, and um, you know she's told me very firmly several times an RFP process is very, very strict. You can't mess with it. You can't mess with the guidelines on it. You can't just be leisurely and allow, oh, bend the rules here and there. No, you put out the RFP, especially if you're a city government, you got to stick to your guidelines. You got to stick to your rules. Uh, the deadlines are very, very important. You can't just let new new competitors in there uh, at the last minute, um, you, you know, or after the deadline has expired. You just can't do that. That's setting yourself up for a huge lawsuit, especially if you're a, a government. So that, that's, you know, that's on the side there, but um, you know, just looking at looking at. And now I forget what your question was. Sorry, go on. I talked myself into uh, oblivion. Right. Now. What, well, what the question was: Is there is there a a risk in vacating Occidental? Let's let's say the MOU yeah, yeah, the MOU gets approved by city council. Is there a risk I, I, I after that? I want to talk because I'm going to forget in, in two seconds if I don't start talking right here. Yeah, there's a risk for the city because they've spent this time. With you know lining up this business deal for itself and for petition for their own business, if they set up Soto right there, I mean they could have Soto come in and, and theoretically win the NBA squad or or compete for that NBA squad and let's say force the city to drive down its rent or force the city to offer more concessions. I mean that's taking money out of the city's pocket, taking money out of Oakview Group's pocket. Uh, you know the competition angle only works if you're trying to get a better. Um, deal on the MOU from OVG, but that's almost done right now. And so after that's over, having a two arena solution doesn't necessarily benefit anybody from the city's point of view or from Oakview's point of view. If anything, you start negotiating, and if you have another arena in play, that that's going to force you to give more concessions to get the NBA team to come to you rather than to Soto. So that that hurts the city in a business deal. So you got to ask, why would the city logically create competition for its own business deal? That, that doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense um, from, from looking at it that way. That's the way I see it. That's not how the city's selling it. That, that's just me looking at it. So if I'm the city, I'm looking like, do I really want to create competition for this deal that I've gone you know, out of my way to create for myself here? And you know, is that the best thing for taxpayers? I don't see any evidence that it's the worst thing for taxpayers. I, I don't see that um, you know, it's, it's going to hurt the citizens of Seattle any. Um, I know that it could hurt the city of Seattle if you build uh, an arena at Soto that takes away concerts eventually from that drains any concert revenue from key arena, because that's, you know, the city's actually benefiting because they're getting a share in all, you know, um, tax revenues uh, to a certain degree. And they've got a $40 million revenue sharing threshold with Oakview group that will be triggered faster if they get bigger shows in there. And if they get NBA and NHL in there, and if you start having that drained off by another arena, that could potentially affect the money that's supposed to go back in the city's coffers. So, yeah, there could, there could be a real serious uh, implication there. And, and it's, just, it's, it's just like the law of the jungle, common sense thing. If you're doing a major business deal and you're a city government, even if you're, you're a private entity, you're not going to want your competition to set up shop three miles up the road from you, and not if you can help it. And in this case, the city saying, you know what, you want to go, go ahead and build a private thing but we're not going to give you the street in order to do it. <laughs> At least that's what they appear to be saying. So, um, you know, I can see that point of view. I definitely can. And, and I, I don't think it's an evidence of corruption or evidence of malfeasance or wrongdoing. I think it's, you know, what goes on every day in the business world in this country. It's not always a nice place. It's not always a fair place. But that's, that's the reality of the situation. There, there's certainly worse crimes that have been committed in the history of uh, city governments.
Jeff, I know you're busy, so I'm just going to ask you one more question. Um, the <clears throat> it, it it certainly seems to most people like Key like Key Arena is going to get done. And so what I what I want to ask you is, um, how certain do you think it is that Key Arena gets approved? And do you think that's going to happen in December, or do you think we might be in for delays? I think they're going to try to get it approved as quickly as possible. Um, I have been told by sources at City Hall that they are probably not going to um, subject it to any I-91 vote or any official thing. I've been told that they've done some re- – I wrote a column on I-91, uh, the anti-sports subsidy law, um, bylaw. I wrote a column about a month ago about it, uh, about how they should subject it to the same financial review that Chris Hansen's plan was put through. From what I've heard, that that has actually taken place at the city. I was told that that the city's actually run the numbers, and they are now going to exempt it, as has been rumored for a while. They're going to exempt it from I-91 based on those financial calculations. So that's what I was told. I'm also told that a majority of um, council members at this point are leaning in favor of – of the um, key arena project. I'm told that it's a seven to two, about a seven to two margin right now, but be very careful about that because I've learned you never, you never count votes before they're actually cast. We we did that before the the last street vacation vote. I had it going about seven to two in favor of Chris Hansen and ended up going five, four against him. So that shows you, you can never ever anticipate what's going to happen, but I'm told there's probably two council members at most right now that would vote it down. And um, yeah, so that that's what I have uh, been told. And so it's do you not think by December then. Told, I've been told this by people at at City Hall. So, do you think December then? Oh, I definitely think December. I I, I think December fourth would be the target right now that they've said before, and I think they're uh, they're they're pushing towards that. I, and I don't see a problem with that unless you start to hear community groups, and we've mentioned them like the Uptown Town Alliance or. I mean, Sonic's Rising, I know, has Brian Robinson sitting on, on the advisory panel. And, uh, you know, John Barr from NHL to Seattle is, is on there. I mean, you start hearing some of the community groups that are on that panel um, complaining that things are being rushed. You know, when I spoke to Deborah Frausto from Uptown Alliance, you know, that was one of her concerns, that they're going to try to rush through too many things. So, you know, if she starts piping up uh, around, you know, late November saying, hey, they're really trying to, try to cram this thing through. They've ignored what we were asking them for, they're really not doing. Then, then I would start to be worried, and you know, I, I would, you know, I'd be the first one to look into that and say, like, hey, what's going on here? Are they rushing this thing too quickly? But up till now, we really haven't heard that from many of these groups, and so, you know, I'm not here to create a conspiracy or create a crisis out of thin air just because some people want the Soto Arena to succeed. I mean, I get that. I get that they want that, but I can't go and, and investigate and create fake controversies when there just aren't. There isn't the same level of, of uh, outrage and protest that you heard, let's say, you know, about the Soto Arena at times from various stakeholders, you know, whether it was the port, whether it was the teams that are there. I mean, they have a, even if they have the best arena plan out there, they still have this very real problem the city does that they have to deal with in Soto about all these voices, you know, making a lot of noise and not happy with it down there. And, and you know, you can say what you want about the port of Seattle. They're a main economic driver of this city. And, and if they have a headache, the city's going to have a headache, too. That's political reality. They just don't have that same opposition in, in um, Uptown and, and Belltown and, and South Lake Union. You haven't heard that. 
up till now. And so unless you start to hear that soon, I, I would say December is a very real possibility based on that alone. Okay. Well, Jeff Baker, the Seattle Times, I thank you for joining us, and I look forward to reading your stories that you mentioned in the next couple of days, and you have a great night. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thank All right. You. That was Jeff Baker, the Seattle Times, and uh, he was kind enough to join us tonight, talk some arena with us, and uh, that is the show for this evening. I have nothing else on the agenda. So with that, have a great day, and good luck. Thanks for sitting in the Sin Bin with your hosts, Paul Rogers and Otto Rogers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.